On this episode of The Last Thing Podcast, we're going to be talking about Half-Life Alex and the future of VR. Welcome to a very special episode of The Last King Podcast. The coronavirus is still around and we're all stuck here at home recording. No, we're not in the studio anymore. And who is joining me? Yes, it's Mr. Toffee here. Um, and, and, and Dustin? Yes, and of course, I am your lovable host, Shafiq. We'll be talking about Half-Life Alex, the biggest game to come out uh, this year. It's been close to 15 years, almost two decades since the last official Half-Life release. I mean, they've been too busy making money with Steam, uh, Left 4 Dead, Dota, you know, small little IPs that don't really add so much to the brand or to the <laughs> to <Wow>. the company portfolio. <laughs> and like people have been wondering like why haven't they been making any more Half-Life games? Where's Half-Life 3? Where's Episode 3? And it's like, you know, the two they, Val's been busy. Dot dot dot. Yeah. Lord Gaben's been busy trying to get uh you know his pockets lined with uh, all all these lovely Steam money and all these collectible cards that people have been spending on. We're gonna be talking about a video game that uh, we thought has was also dead, <laughs> apparently, as there's been nothing but um rumors and uh you know misinformation and the fact that nobody speculation lots of too it. much speculation yeah. we've all seen the memes and like nobody at Valve actually said anything or confirmed anything about Half-Life 3 I think a few months ago or was it yeah somebody who worked on the Valve team actually released the story script for Half-Life 3 uh, official or unofficial to an extent and yeah I mean it was basically it's come to a point where Half-Life 3 is the default premier vaporware after Duke Nukem because Duke Nukem actually got released. (laughs) (laughs) Much to the chagrin of the gamers, he's like, yeah, I know, we asked. Did we need this shit? No, we we don't. We we asked for it and they gave it to us and now we don't want it. Serves us right. (laughs) I think that's that's the the common consensus when it comes to Duke Nukem Forever. A series that was definitely uh, a huge aspect of 90s uh, FPS games. And, I don't know, yeah, very early 90s FPS games. And it's... Yeah, from a platformer to a pretty cool 3D shooter to whatever the hell that Gearbox released. (laughs) Thank God for for Borderlands, okay? Yeah, yeah, thank God. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, they didn't release a new Half-Life game. What they did was release a prequel. And a prequel not starring the titular Gordon Freeman but more so the female lead, I would say. I mean, she wasn't an actual love interest in Half-Life 2, but she was definitely a main component to a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the puzzle solving. Uh, Half-Life Alex, uh, set five years before the events of Half-Life 2, uh, finally came out here in 2020. And as old school gamers, uh, we were very much intrigued, enthralled, and actually taken by surprise because there was very little hype and very little uh, media buildup towards Half-Life uh, Alex. And the one thing that actually got our attentions was basically this was going to be a VR-only game. And also, much to our dismay, it's like, okay, it's technically not a Half-Life 3, but it's still a Half-Life product, which, you know what, maybe uh, throw the dog a bone, should we be grateful at least that Valve has decided to grace us with such a video game? I mean, what are your initial thoughts when you heard about the announcement, boys? I thought it was a big surprise that they're actually going to continue on with Half-Life considering that Steam is kind of in a good place with its own distribution center with Dota 2 and Counter-Strike basically just running the show for Valve per se. Mm -hmm. But it's good to know that, you know, some teams in Valve are really trying their best to bring the story of Half-Life forward. Like, 
I mean, it's nice to actually see how things went by in the world before part two happens. So seeing the clips here and there and then seeing that Jeff Keighley special where he actually went in the Valve office to talk about Half-Life and also Alex as well, you know, the progress here and there was, okay, um, it's nice to see that. And then it comes to the realization when the game comes out, you'll be like, yeah, I need to actually buy an Index, a, a Valve-created VR headset that costs how it's much a thousand again? US. A thousand US, right? Yeah, you need that. You need to pay that much for that. I mean, it, I mean, the game comes free with that, but still, it's quite a roadblock for some people. But maybe for those who actually played Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 1 uh, during the Counter-Strike era back in 10 years or 15 years ago, at least they have disposable income by now. They should have actually have jobs by then, right? So, that, isn't that maybe? the excuse that Sony gave? Is like, don't you all have jobs? Can't you afford a $700 console? Isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I know, it's a bit... <laughs> disingenuous to say some patronizing and patronizing may not be the word that. I think what they're saying is that uh, we have a very specific demographic where that we're going to be uh, pitching to and maybe yeah. I think maybe why there's such a lack in fanfare and a lack in media hype is because they know it's a very targeted audience base yes definitely this is like a 20 year old franchise or even Half-Life came out 98 sir yeah <laughs> okay that's it was yeah, on 20, the closing yes. end of the FPS boom in the 90s. It was a good combination of like uh, cinematic storytelling and gameplay, you know. With the head crabs, the puzzles especially. And the fact that everything is all like in-game, like from the start to the end. It's like, you don't see it that often, you know, in like games back in the 90s. Yeah, true that. 90s. I mean, it was definitely a generation. Except for Shenmue, that's it. Shenmue, but Shenmue's <laughs> not a shooter, sir. I mean, like if you want to compare it. I know, it, I know. I'm talking more like technology, you know. Yeah, okay, wise. I can see where you're coming from. But I know it was definitely a graduation from what was the potential of FPS games back in the day. Because if the the only real con- comparisons we can make is to games like Quake and maybe Unreal, where these were arena a- corridor shooters which had a very linear story. And it's barely a story. It's basically collect key, open door, fight boss, rinse, repeat. And then Half-Life decided to add a very narrative ele- element to it. And I think they also blew the doors open with Half-Life 2 when it pushed the uh, graphical fidelity and like the faces actually didn't look so jarring. <laughs> and especially with yeah. the creation of the Alex Vance character, just having her smile at you, you the silent protagonist Gordon Freeman, is like, okay, there's something very endearing about that. And I would say uh, what Valve does and what does in spades is right, with every release, they needed a reason for every release to exist. Like I would compare Valve to something like film director James Cameron where he's like, Unless I'm pushing the technology, I don't see a reason to even have a project to begin with. I think exact. I think that's exactly what they're doing now, and I think that's why they're doing it with the Half Life franchise. So rather than make it like Half Life Three and and do this, um, <clears throat> I think they're trying to float a balloon using the Half Life franchise so that it there's a, a, an existing fan base try out the new technology, but don't make it three because that puts too much pressure on them to get it right. And if it bombs, it's considered a failure for the company. So to have something like Alex, which is, um, it borrows enough on the Half-Life franchise so that you're not building up IP from scratch. Mm. Try out the new technology. And then if it works out, what can we learn from this? How can we deploy this in other games and Half-Life 3? Yeah, I mean, but this is like probably not their, this is not their first venture into 3D because you all recall they also released The Lab a couple of years ago where it was their first experimentations mm. with <coughs> spatial puzzles and uh, interacting with uh, objects in the VR environment which is later rep- reproduced in Half-Life Alex to some degree. But I think it's the hardware, I think it's the hardware component that they're experimenting with mm. because 
what essentially has driven this is that there is already a trend with uh, you know Kinect and other camera-based systems yeah. where people have started learning gesture-based uh, gaming. So I think that you they kind of needed gesture-based gaming to get some traction so that there is kind of like a language of how you interact with things mm. and then translate things um, that are that track better that don't require actions that cameras can detect and that's why they have like a control surface like this to be able to do it yeah and the controls is definitely something I don't want to bring up later when I actually do a quick review of the game but maybe to set some context also guys what was your early introduction to Half-Life do you all recall the first time you played it and also maybe share some experiences or some stories about the series in general I think I got my start with Half-Life in the LAN cafe this was like I think a year or so before the CS the first Counter-Strike mod actually popped up and like playing it for the first time this is like this from coming from a guy who played games like Power Slave or uh, Blood or all, uh, Red Knight Rampage basically like those 2D pseudo 3D shooters from basically 3D Doom clones <laughs> yeah Doom clones a lot of a lot of the Doom clones and also Quake I was like can 3D get more colorful than this and then playing Half-Life it's like on the, when you're actually on the Black Mesa facility before the accident and stuff happens when you're on the conveyor belt and then the hit the first hit crap you meet up and then when you start swimming and then you get through all these puzzles here and then it's like this is very confusing scary but also very fun at the same time and then at the same and then as well and then suddenly all these dudes with like the military mass coming in to shoot you down it's like everything just starts becoming like the big business by then already so that was actually like a very I mean to cut it short it's a very I would say a very mind-blowing experience because you don't see that many cinematic games that use the cutscene like, that uses like the in-game engine at all around that time so it's uh, pretty pretty uh, yeah crazy stuff so how about you Dustin any what are your big thoughts about Half-Life back in the day I, I think I agree with you on the very, your very last point which is Half-Life redefined how we think of the, the video game's ability to drive narrative in terms of setting the scene allowing your eye to be drawn by the audio to be drawn by the visual look such that you have um, yeah, and it's evolved over time right so like uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is one of the new examples of like when they put you in the car and you're driving around and they, they use audio and visual to, to guide where you should be looking even though they yeah. build the entire world you are you have a choice to look where you want to look but they use audio and visual cues to get you looking in the right place one of the things about um how half-life has uh aged well is that recently when you know i was watching um like one of those reports about in china when they have the lockdown with covid and everything and they have drones telling citizens to go home that reminded me of the first time you go outdoors in half-life yeah. where they have exactly that <laughs> oh same scene. my god yeah yeah oh my god yeah <laughs> reality becomes truth and truth becomes art and art becomes reality yeah i don't know i mean like for me half-life was definitely very mind-blowing in the sense that it does focus on storytelling rather than being just a traditional shooter which i think was necessary back then because when you mentioned doom clones you also have to mention quake clones and then you had games like unreal tournament and then like you know much later the one game to crush them all would be unfortunately a half-life mod which is counter-strike because like that took over you know like you know like the quake scene became very niche Okay, nobody plays Unreal Tournament professionally anymore. And 
if anything like uh, I think Valve saw that potential and then like it was also kind of strange because when Half-Life 2 was released right not only was it an uptick in like graphical fidelity because I remember looking at Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 still fucking holds up now it's it's how much, how much yeah. of it do you think is the physics engine? Because yeah. one thing you one thing you notice, right, between Quake, Unreal Tournament, and Half-Life, which are kind of like the three main players at yeah. the time, Half-Life actually has the most realistic physics engine. Mm. Whereas the other two are slightly fantastical. There are elements of the 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 engine that take you it breaks the fourth wall a bit because I shouldn't be able to do a fucking grenade jump or rocket mm. jump. I shouldn't be able to <laughs> like, you know, and, and Unreal Tournament had a very floaty kind of gravity. Yeah. Whereas Half Life really kept kept you grounded, and even the the weapons of choice were logical weapons like you know crowbar and things like that, rather than like other weapons that were not not realistic well, at all. True, but they also did have the pulse rifle and other things. So true, but I mean it is science fiction, right? Yeah, but I, I agree. Mean, it's I, not I like infinite it, rockets. It, like grounded sci-fi. It, it in had a way. it had a it had a more grounded sense of reality, and I think that one of those things is the physics engine is a very implicit thing that, that keeps you like, oh, this is so realistic yeah. because there are things that you are interacting with the environment that are real and you may not notice it. We notice it like 20 years later, yeah. right? But when you're doing it, you're like, why is why is this so much more engaging for some reason? I mean, there's no parts of Quake or Unreal where it's like you need to stack up all these wooden boxes to get through this vent. <laughs> oh my god exactly. think about yes, it you know because yes. I think yeah one thing that Half-Life did very well was it, it's definitely the spatial awareness where it made you realise that uh, like every fall would kill you if you recall you know I mean there were definitely one of the, the problems with the original Half-Life game was uh, people didn't really like the platforming sections especially when it's platforming sections plus those fucking barnacles that just cling to the ceiling and grab you uh, oh, you know yes, stuff like yes. that and I think also that uh, I think because they were trying to push the narrative and they were trying to push the realism and I think what took them to the next stratosphere was definitely the physics based gameplay in Half-Life 2 and also like probably the introduction of probably one of the greatest guns of all time the gravity gun I mean I would say it's right above the the, the three spread shooter from Contra as best weapons all time I mean my opinion <laughs> but Okay, I think between Half-Life 1 and Half-Life 2, a lot of video game companies are like thinking to themselves, we might have to make our shooters a little more realistic in a way because mm. people are already getting sick of the Doom clones and the Quake clones. Yeah, but I think it was Counter-Strike that pretty much, you know, nailed the... Oh, it sealed yeah. that, yeah. It's, it was, that. it's basically... Shafiq, I want to go back to your point. I want to go back to your point about like greatest weapons of all time. You have to give me your list now. My list of greatest weapons of all time, top 5 or top yeah. 10? Let's do top five. Top five. Okay, so it's Gravity Gun, the three shooter from uh the Contra series. Contra, yeah. Ah, Cerebral okay. ball from Turok. <laughs> oh, that's that, a good that, choice. That gun that's is fucking choice. nuts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then it would definitely be, I don't know what it's called, uh, but basically it's uh, the gun that shoots uh razor blades in F- Far Cry. It's like one of my favorite uh, It's Far Cry okay. New Dawn. Far Cry New Dawn. Far yeah. Cry New Dawn. Yes, that that raises that sort of gun. Like, yeah. uh, the blade doesn't lodge into like surfaces. It actually bounces around and can clear a room, and it's just fun to watch. And uh, I would say right after that will be the holy hand grenade from Worms. Ooh, okay. <laughs> Worms is making a comeback. Worms is making a comeback, so. and it's like that grenade is like as inaccurate as it is when you finally land one. 
hilarious. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> Kaboom. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Are we going to do this? What's your top five, sir? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, this is tough. Okay, Gravity Gun, uh, Half-Life 2, uh, Metal Blade. <laughs> I guess you call it... I'm not sure if it's a gun or a weapon, but... Metal Blades from Mega Man 2. It kills everything. <laughs> I, I thought it would be the Scissor Man power-up. I thought... No, no, no. Um, the metal blades are the best in the game okay. itself. Okay, yeah, yes. okay, see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, guns wise, uh, I guess the re. I remember. Oh yeah, the flat cannon from uh, Unreal Tournament. It won me quite a number of games because of the, the dual fire and mm. everything. Super shotgun, Doom Two and Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal. Super shotgun, yeah, sure. Yeah, super shotgun Wait, all the way. Just can I also add one more because it just popped oh, what, my what? head. Uh, freaking the laptop gun from Perfect Dark. <laughs> that gun was oh, yeah, good, fucking good. amazing because you could just throw it onto a wall it becomes a turret and it's like there's nothing uh -huh. like you lead a guy into a corridor or into a room and you throw it on the wall and you're shooting at him and he looks at you but he doesn't realize there's another gun on him it's like the <laughs> gameplay <laughs> like options you had with that uh, like, yeah oh and then there was that shotgun my last entry was the shotgun from uh, both uh, the one Bulletstorm Bulletstorm okay. Okay. the one basically you charge up and then it fires a huge laser or something Four-barreled shotgun, dude. It's crazy. Okay, can I top all of that? In terms of sheer firepower, the best video game gun, maybe, and it unfortunately, it has been paired with the perfect build, is the double-penetrating yep. unkempt herald from the Borderlands 2 game. <laughs> part 2, yeah. right? Bo part two they don't have it in yes. Part 3, maybe they will, but the fact that... It, there is a replacement for Part 3. It's not the same. Three, but we'll it's not the same, that. because if you use the zero and you use the, the, the bore technique, and if you use the proper yep. multipliers, that thing does like... 8 million damage on impact you know it's like that's how you clear raid bosses like you can one shot freaking Hyperius the Invincible if you, you set it up perfectly okay yeah that, so, that's, okay, that's, that's my list I'll stop yeah. <laughs> okay uh, Dustin what's yours uh, I, I agree with the laptop gun uh, the BFG from Doom <laughs> Ooh, the OG okay. one Good choice. Real, yeah the OG Classic. one the OG one uh, real gun from Quake 2 oh fuck yeah Shit, my my yes. quick credibility just went out the toilet. Yes, <laughs> team the team fortress turret. Yes, <laughs> and the, and the halo spike gun. Oh, the needler. The, the needler. Yes, yeah, the needler. Yeah, the needler. That, yeah, yeah. It makes that really satisfying sound when it explodes. That gun is and, fucking. And, and, are you sure that? And and, and 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 you get and you get people around corners with it. Okay, I agree oh, with that, yes, but it does can. shit damage. It doesn't really make sense in multiplayer. <laughs> in uh, when you headshots actually do work. Come to think of it, but yeah. it's 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 the curling headshot around the corner that, that I'm so it's the fin it's for part three especially I so remember it, it's uh -huh. it's like a finesse gun it's for you to flex basically <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty much. sounds like it but I was okay yeah you know what a great selection of weaponry yes we should do a top ten video list I guess <laughs> but yeah uh wow speaking of weapons yeah that uh, gravity gun and also to an extent later in portal would be the portal gun. Ooh. I forgot the portal gun. <laughs> uh, yes. But the portal gun also one of the greatest technically weapons. Technically not yeah. a weapon unless of course you like use it to launch somebody into lava or something. Well, yeah, if you're, it's, if still you're, a, it's still a weapon. It's still a weapon. The, the, it's not conventional. The, if you use the companion cube, it is a weapon. Okay, true that. You true know what? That. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense right now. Hmm. Okay, so yeah, definitely. And that, that was Last King's the best guns of all time. What's your favorite? Let us know. We're on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook. Uh, but yeah. Oh man, I lost my train of thought. So we were talking about Half-Life. No, no, we we're, were talking from the gravity gun all the way to the gravity gloves in maybe Half-Life. Uh, okay, so the gravity gloves are technically not a weapon, but there are ways for you to maybe 
interact with the world. And I would say in terms of firepower, Half-Life Alex doesn't provide the same kind of options you would be expecting. So if you're going to play something like Half-Life Alex and like hope to be doing some amazing gravity kind nonsense in VR, yeah, not quite. Not quite. There are hints at it actually. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of the game because you know, it's really fresh out there. And I think for a game which is very much... Uh, you know, entrenched in uh, telling a very narrative story. Uh, I mean, the quick review is basically, if you have a VR system, you owe it to yourself to justify your purchase and get yourself Half-Life Alex. because yes, the AAA VR game has finally arrived. And not only that, it is the official Valve seal of approval and seal of quality. Because if we were to mention previously like Valve is pretty much a stickler for releasing good product I mean we can go into an entire discussion about why Half-Life 3 was never released and I think the simple answer is because they were never quite proud of whatever they did you know because they are definitely uh, slaves to their own perfection they were so much pretty much like how do you top Half-Life 2 okay and then like they did the I would say not necessarily the easy way out by releasing episode 1 and episode 2 which are spectacular in their own ways and I think what those games actually did was push the narrative a little bit to kind of satiate all those hardcore Half-Life fans but the bullshit is they dropped one of the greatest like gaming cliffhangers of all time with the end of episode yes. 2 and they left us hanging for goddamn 20 years and instead of like okay fine we're not gonna create the perfect game or we're not gonna create a brand new like gaming experience uh, here's half-life 3 you ask for it there you go but rather than doing that and like succumbing to like you no know, the, the mainstream clamor right they were basically now nah, we're, we're fucking valve we, we make quality products and in essence right half-life alex is definitely in their like uh, in their line of top tier products also the only one and i would say in their prestige class because like you can't afford everything else that they've done. This one comes with a different price tag and a different entry point. So I have a sense I have a sense that what they're actually trying to do is that they're actually trying to um, muscle in on Fortnite space, not so much in terms of what the game is, but mm. in terms of being a place where people hang out. So that's why like Facebook invested in Oculus and everything, right? Because Fortnite isn't just a game, it's a place where like people go to hang out, it's like our MSN in our era. So what people are looking at, okay, what's going to be the next Fortnite? And a lot of people think that VR is the space, that that's going to happen. Mm. So I think what this is, is a foray into an attempt to create that kind of uh, community or an online space similar to Fortnite, similar to Minecraft where people go to hang out and mm. this is kind of their way of edging into that. You think so? Because yeah, I do kind of uh, see like there is a trend towards creating, I mean this has been going on for the longest time which is the virtual lobby or the virtual hangout where you and your avatar can definitely just walk into like any space and you know portray any character you are because it's like maybe what VR basically like the the, the metaverse that is uh, depicted in Snow Crash lah. probably I, I would say less that more like Ready Player One 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely the future that we're all quite looking forward to because you know. Not, but but IP is going to be a nightmare, <laughs> right? Getting all of those different fucking <laughs> yeah. characters together. It's the internet. You can't stop us. If I want to be Little yeah. Mermaid, I'll be Little Mermaid. Okay. <laughs> I think if they made it, if they made it such that you can mod it, then that's going to happen. But if you, any company try to do it, they'll just get sued mm. off their pants. Yeah, which is like the smart thing to do is to allow people to mod their own skins, and if you share the skins, like in classic uh, Quake games, where it's like if you have the skin, you can see it. So there's no copyright infringement on like you're not selling the skin itself, but I don't know. I mean, I am not really that interested in I would say VR hangout places. I don't know about you guys, but I think as a ways of communication and interacting, it'd be interesting to say the least. Though, I would say you're not the, you're not the target demographic. I'm not the target demographic. I'm hardcore gamer. So yeah, I mean yeah. when I play games, core, core, core gamers haven't been the target demographic for twenty years. Even longer, especially if you think about it, because we're very hard to please. Exactly. Yeah, and the thing is, right? Uh, I don't know. It's come to a point where nobody's making games anymore. Everybody's making experiences or battle royales. So, you know, thank God for Doom at least, kind of. No multiplayer still. What the fuck? <laughs> no deathmatch. It has multiplayer. It just doesn't have deathmatch. That doesn't make sense to me at all. Uh, so yes, Half Life Three announced in two thousand seven. Till this day, <laughs> no news, no release, nothing but rumors. Then of course, and the Twitter account called uh, "Is Half Life Three out yet?" <laughs> yeah, that's the most hilarious one. Uh, it's not hilarious anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not anymore. It's, it's it, like now the last tweet they did was like, "No, yes, I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Stop asking. Nobody. Yeah, and I think it's come to a point where it's like the people who cared don't care anymore. <laughs> yes. You know. Or a, or a did or a did no or moved Who, on uh, who's moved dead on. <laughs> from that era? Well, maybe yeah, you're right, huh? But, but, yeah, in these trying times, yes. In these, oh, <laughs> not a good. Okay. That that got dark. That fast. got dark very fast. <laughs> Thanks, John. Okay, but okay, you know what? It is a time of a pandemic, and there is definitely the coronavirus. Okay, it's still running rampant around the world, and I think a question I want to bring up to you guys is definitely the timing of this release, because as much as there's a lot of uh, government orders for all of us to stay home and to practice social distancing and to just you know stay the fuck home right and like what a better time than to play video games but also at the same time we're on the verge of probably economical collapse so um, if you were planning on buying a VR set is now the right time boys? <laughs> I think that if you can afford a VR set especially the one that you need to play this game you're probably one of the elite that is doing well here because you're collecting rent from everyone else probably <laughs> I don't know I mean like I'm making a killing selling all of this like you know bulked up toilet paper I've been hoarding all this time <laughs> staying ahead of the yeah, curve staying ahead of the curve okay. only four more boxes I can afford an index yes <laughs> okay, that's it. wouldn't that be amazing that's the reason why people are hoarding toilet paper we, we can't afford a VR setup and Half-Life Alex is coming <laughs> This is <laughs> what are the essentials? Quick, quick! We gotta okay. Quick. It's supply and demand. You need to understand. People need to wipe their asses. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> okay, that got. I think the VR uh, train has always had this problem since ten years or even longer mm. than that. The price point. Like I just did a quick search on Lazada, Shopee, or Amazon, and every single VR device that can actually run uh, Half Life Alex. Even the slightly, even the ones that are kind of wonky, they're about 700 to about 800 US at the minimum, mm. 
with the maximum, I guess, being in the index itself, which we mentioned it's a before, US. cost about one k. Yeah, one k yeah. US. So again, and, that, and that's not even adding in the fact that you need like a, a really good, a uh, uh, good computer as well as a graphics card to run the game proper. Yeah, right? that's so. one thing people also fail to realize is because it's like the hardware is not just the VR setup, but you need the rig to run it. Okay, and it the rig and oh it is God. day and age. Yeah. I think Half Life Alex comes with a minimum requirement of a 1060, and like I tested this on a 1060, it is not optimal at all. You definitely need above a 1080 a Ti preferably, because I was. I, I, no, you're saying? No, go ahead. No, because it's like so. Uh, maybe to add some context to my review is basically uh, I tested it on two different setups, one with the Oculus Rift or Quest. I'm not quite sure, but it was an Oculus setup. And one with uh, a Valve Index. And the, the Valve Index rig was uh, tethered to two 2080 G, uh, GTXs in SLI. And it's like, okay, this is optimal. This is liquid smooth. I don't notice any stutter. I don't notice any... I think the word they use, especially in VR, is a lack of presence. Where you have like, a, I would say, a pop-in or like blinking is what they would say. Whereas like... Uh, the, the problem I had running it on the 1060 with the Oculus was um, you would play the game and every time you whip your head around it would be like it would not quite match where your head should land and you have this very strange kind of uh, disjointed feeling of like okay I'm looking at this now but I'm looking over there now and that definitely is a detriment to the experience overall so it is not just the VR headset boys and girls it is the computer you're plugged into because it's I, that's that's the horsepower that's actually pushing those pixels into your eyeballs. I think realistically, VR hardware isn't pro- isn't going to make any traction until it comes standard with a particular platform. So like, uh, when Kinect came with the camera, or when when the PS comes with their own camera, that's when these hardware things are bundled into to a, a new platform purchase because you've really committed to the new platform. Mm. I don't think that any... I, I can't think of any major gaming hardware that has that kind of R&D in it and the kind of cost recovery that those people need to do has ever come unbundled from a new platform. I mean, the closest one is definitely Sony's uh, VR bundle, but that doesn't come with console. It's just the VR rig. So it's yeah, still... But it, an... but it didn't do that well, right? Yeah, because it's the... um, it's kind of hit and miss mm. for every time. Ty- I mean, there's still some stinkers on the PSVR. Some but stinkers. I think I don't. Okay, a lot, a lot. But I can think of at least one or two games that almost made me want to buy a PSVR. Um, one was that gangster game that came out, Blood something last year, and the other one was Moss that came out two years prior. Mm. Moss. I mean, now it's on PC and for now, but. Back then, it was a PS PlayStation exclusive before And that's that. the place to go to die because if you're limited to one single ecosystem and if you're limited to just yeah. one periphery, right, then yeah, okay, you can only last so long. Exactly. I mean, yeah. the game, to Correct. me... Correct. It has to... In, in my opinion, yeah, the hardware also needs to be not open source, but it needs to be cross-platform for it to make any sense. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah. there are games that are exclusively, uh, I would say, I would not say exclusively, but definitely are improved on in VR. Like, games like Thumper, which I think uh, when they decided to not be exclusive and that it's available on Steam and now Xbox, right? It's like, okay, that game did some good numbers. And if you have the VR setup, it's a different experience altogether. Uh, but for something like Half-Life Alex, where it really does feel like Valve is trying to cater to as much of the VR audience as possible, 
Because one of the things that I also kind of need to mention is that uh, it's very dependent on your controller setup. Now, let me explain. The, the Valve Index has very much... Uh, they paid attention to uh, more tactile feedback controls for your fingers, where something like the Oculus pretty much is uh, very similar to maybe something like PlayStation's, uh, like the, the One system. The Move. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know, it definitely changes the way your eyes and your hands interact with what you see because uh, one of the aspects of Half-Life Alex, right, is uh, something that nobody really notices but if you, when you're in a firefight and you need to reload and you reload manually and it's something that you need to commit to muscle memory very quick so playing it on something like the Oculus where you don't quite have certain gestures available to you but the Valve, I think they were smart enough to have the foresight to notice this and like, okay, they, they kind of I would say they map the controls a little bit differently for, for lack of a better word. So it's a different hand gesture but when you play something like Index where it actually is your finger movements putting a clip into the gun or when you like pull back uh, on the chamber to reload, right? It's a totally different experience and it definitely is along the lines of uh, you need a very specific setup to truly appreciate what this game decides to deliver upon. Even though there are, I would say, uh, I would, other options, but the other options feel like, you know, it, do, it doesn't feel like an afterthought. It feels more along the lines of like, okay, we'll still cater to you. It's like, in, like there's a PS3 game, but we need to release it on the PS2. So we'll cut down on the graphics or we'll cut down on certain options. So like Valve's Half-Life Alex actually is a game that is also a port in a way. So, I mean, it does the right things technologically and it does the right things in business sense-wise. But then it becomes very hard to review a game like Half-Life Alex because then it's also not just a review on the gameplay or the design of the game, but also on the ecosystem that you've decided to choose to use to implement this. And if anything, is like when it comes to owning this game, I can only suggest, right, if you have the Valve Index and if you're one of those lucky few who owns one, and you need a reason to, like, to, to justify your purchase, Half-Life Alex exists. If you own any other VR setups, right, it's like, okay, it's going to be a different experience for you. You can technically play it. So that is definitely what the, the underlying thing is I'm trying to say. is like, you can technically play it, but it may not be the exact experience that was designed. So if anything, uh, when it comes to like, maybe the fragmentation of the technology and the hardware that's available right now, uh, I doubt there's going to be ever a circumstance when any of these companies decide to unify and say like, okay, uh, this is how VR games should be played or this is the interface that should be decided upon. Because, I mean, think about it this but way. But I think the market will decide, right? I think the kind of like, yeah. if there are things that the Index and the Rift are doing differently, if the Index is truly an improvement, then more game, more game studios will go, oh, I want these particular features that are unique to the index and I will develop for it. So I think that both the market as well as like, you know, it's the dev side and the the, the players, right? Yeah. Both both parties will determine whether that feature set from the given hardware is what is important to them. I think it's also in terms of like audience reaction and reception because like I can probably equate this to something 
also from the 90s is like when Street Fighter finally came to consoles is like if you played it on like a Mega Drive 2 where you had the the three buttons on top of each other in the six button layout yeah. that made way more sense than playing it on a Famicom where your heavy punch and your heavy kick are on your the your, your, your uh, on the shoulder yeah. buttons. Uh, on the so shoulders, it yeah. definitely is something that's basically three button versus two button. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Or like you know, if you were to play on the classic Genesis controller where you have to press start to switch between punches and kicks, which is like you know, doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah. that is something I would say is very similar to what Half Life Alex does in terms of uh, adapting to other control systems, where it does take into consideration. So it doesn't uh, lock you out of the experience. But you, like I said, the way you play it may not be as optimized if it wasn't for the system that it's designed for. And if anything, as I said before, it's like, yeah, it's also a choice of your ecosystem. Because it's like, if you do have the Valve Index, what's stopping you? Play it. it it's designed for you. If you Yeah, and plus I think it's free on the Valve Index anyway. So <laughs> You might it. as well. You're going to ask me to pay money for this too? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, don't you have enough of my money on Steam? God damn it, Gabe! <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, so it's like, uh, I don't know, it's basically, you can buy Half-Life Alex, but what are you looking for? Do you want the true gaming experience, or you, do you just want to be a part of the scene, or you want to be part of the conversation where it's like, oh, I, I have it, I play it on my VR setup. So, you know, like I said, like the demographics to me seem very much... Uh, I wouldn't say fractured, but I would say they're not quite in unison because it's still a matter of ecosystem. I think they're floating a test balloon, right? Just basically to see whether our interpretation of how to execute VR resonates with people mm. and then this will inform... Their, the response to this probably informs whether they continue to like push in on VR and make Half-Life 3 VR, mm. uh, Which for is example. Which is definitely an option because they did say because of the success of this game so far, they are actually going to they didn't confirm it, but they want to do more Half-Life titles, quote-unquote, with VR. Mm. Yeah. And I would say also this, right? If this from, thing... from a franchise perspective, la, from a franchise perspective, it makes sense because mm. there's a more puzzle element to it yeah. as opposed to other games where the interaction uh, or the requirement to use VR isn't as explicit. Yeah, and I mean, tr- I mean, truthfully, the future is now. This is definitely a great starting point to what the potential is later. And I think it would definitely be a company like Valve if you release more Half-Life games and if you can justify the investment by at least promising maybe every two years, not saying every year, we don't need you to franchise Half-Life, we don't need this to be like Assassin's Creed or FIFA, but if you can promise us like every two, maybe three years, there's a new Half-Life product which utilizes VR uh, in a certain way, like definitely then I see a potential for growth because if you think about it, like I made the earlier comparison to like maybe James Cameron's Avatar. When's Avatar 2 going to come out, huh? After after every after everyone else has shit the bed and poisoned the well, <laughs> and you know what I mean. And it's yeah, we should also bring up the fact that when Avatar came out, I think every other film production house jumped on that bandwagon. Yeah, the So who's to say that after Half Life Alex is out, other companies might do the same? But I think that there's a very specific thing for 3D that resulted in everyone jumping on the bandwagon as well, which is basically that for China, you can release on more screens than you. Would typically be able to do because there's a loophole that allows more 3D films uh, to be screened. There's a limit on the number of foreign films that can go into China. So the reason a lot of the US studios 
uh, pushed into 3D was that it gave them more China exposure than they would have with ah. normal films. Yeah, true that. That's very helpful. And I yeah. think also one thing we might need to address is the fact that when it comes to VR and 3D, right, one of the direct comparisons is it's still considered maybe a novelty item because people go to like 3D cinemas or to 3D movies. They don't really go in there for the expression of an artist or some amazing story. They go in there for basically the theme park ride element of it where it's like, Here's the 3D, you know? I mean, you can tell garbage stories, which is why those Transformers movies do so well, because every single one of them was released in 3D, and seeing Optimus Prime's groin as he flips over you was kind of cool, okay? To an, to an extent. And I would say this, right? When they do 3D right, it can be actually mind-blowing. I mean, I'm going to say quite recently in... Uh, also James Cameron and uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, Alita Battle Angel in 3D is fucking immaculate. It is yeah. gorgeous. And like to me, it felt so like, oh, this still exists. This is still, there's still a reason for this to exist if done well. And um, like, I would like to imagine maybe like if VR was to take over the cinema in a way, like if it was like when also kind of... Uh, Hanging on Dustin's other point, where if we can make media, uh, I would say available all forms of media available through VR as well. Um, I know that in PlayStation, like they have this very interesting feature where if you put on the VR goggles, you can be actually either watching the movie or you can be sitting in a cinema watching a screen, which is, I would say, an interesting novelty. But like, say if maybe imagine like this is what I'm kind of speculating also like the next Avatar movie has to be VR because there's no reason to make another 3D Avatar movie because there's not much of a narrative to push let alone like if James Cameron is James Cameron and he wants to blow people away like alright you know the first VR movie you can actually be in the movie you turn around and you're still in that what's the world called again huh? the Avatar world uh, Pandora My Pandora. Bad, yeah, Pandora you're like okay you can experience Pandora that way as a new level of immersion I think VR is also one of the ways to achieve a well, a high level of visual resolution without actually having a huge projector or like hundred inch screen. Yes, that's also one thing. Like it, it definitely changes the game when it comes to hardware and it comes to what you need to equip a cinema with. Though it's gonna be weird because it's like, how's the sound system gonna work? Are you gonna gonna go with headphones or you gonna go with the the classic THX like seven point one Dolby Atmos system in like a closed space? And if people were already stealing 3D glasses, wait till you see what they do with the headsets. <laughs> with the PR devices, right? Oh god, yeah. You can imagine all these old aunties walking into the cinema with like little wire cutters just trying to pluck that thing out, right? Yeah. Why is the handbag so bulky for some reason? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you know. Um, I, no, no, I don't think humanity will ever degrade to such things. Come on. What are you saying? <laughs> You'll be surprised. I'd be surprised. Yeah, it's, not like, it's not like they're holding toilet paper it's now. It's not like they're holding toilet paper yeah. now. Okay, yeah. but I think then the bigger question we have to ask on top of all of this, right, is um, are you guys going to get Half-Life Alex? At this point in time, no. What? I'm already happy. Hey, I, as much as I like Half-Life and Half-Life 2 and Portal and Portal 2, looking at it, I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to actually shell out a thousand US just, just for, for the headset. VR headset for one game, which I will enjoy, but I'll be like getting buyer's remorse in a couple of months or so after playing it. So I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe if there are like another couple of other titles and if the and if the device itself would cost less than a thousand, then maybe. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm already a bit skeptical just getting a PSVR. I mean, I got I loaned one from a friend to review some games, but that's as far as can I can go anyway. Is so. it because you think that uh, VR still has not left the trappings of it being still just a gimmick rather than an essential way to experience things? Uh. I guess so. I mean, there's part of me that says that. But on the other hand, I played Moss. I played uh, Asgard's Wrath. Uh, this one RPG that's in VR. And even with the simple basic Oculus controls, it still plays just fine. Mm. I mean, as long as you can give a simple, uh, yet sort of one-to-one kind of feedback control and you have a nice experience with it that you cannot find anywhere else, then maybe, just maybe, it's worth the purchase. True that. Because I'm talking more for the VR set, it set rather than the mm. games. Because at the end of the day, you still need the proper games or even the proper apparatus or app to make it like a system seller of sorts. Yeah, I think it's like the same problem with like something like maybe the Sega Saturn. It's like it's a, it's a it's a great piece of kit. Yes. What are gonna What am I gonna play on this? You know what I mean? Like, and it's yeah. it's definitely a different price point entry. My 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 day for being the guinea pig for developers is over. That was like my late teens and twenties when <laughs> buy new technology for the first time, and then the company goes defunct, and you know, stuck with like, I'm stuck with like Castlewood Orb, which is like the <laughs> alternative to you the Omega Zip Drive. Then like fucking two point two gig in a disc. Wow. Then they went out of business. Drivers went obsolete and everything. Sir, as a, as an owner of a Zip Drive. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Omega, I have not heard that oh, for a long God. time. Yeah, well, you know, when I went to art school back in the day, it was like, oh, we need to put all our files in these Omega zip drives, and then literally six months later, oh, there's this thing called USB drives now. Fuck yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, from a technology point of view, one of the things that I still have misgivings with VR is that it's a similar problem to uh, 3D. Your head and your mind is being put in a space where your body is not getting the feedback that it's used to getting. Mm. The reason you get nauseous is because your body has evolved defenses to protect yourself if you're in danger. So whenever you are seeing so whenever you're seeing something in your eyes that your brain does not compute as being logical, you start to get nauseous. So that's why when um, you move and let's say if you start a move in, in VR and your body, you just start moving smoothly, there's no body jerk, your brain processes the lack of a jerk and goes, wait, why is that happening? I think you've eaten magic mushrooms sometime, I'm not going to make you puke it up. Yeah. So that's the issue that you know a lot of people have had with stereoscopic 3D and with VR, which is your body expects some feedback with what the visual system is sending it, and if it doesn't get that feedback, different people react differently to it, and some people get nauseous very quickly. Mm, I think that's also a very good point because it's something that we also need to address is the fact that VR not only comes with a price point entry, but it comes with a learning curve and a certain amount of adaptability that you and your normal five senses need to accommodate to. Uh, I totally agree with you because I did suffer from a lot of motion sickness when I was playing Half-Life Alex on either platform because there are moments definitely where you do feel pretty much immersed in the world and okay, I mean, one thing that did happen when I was testing on the Oculus, the game actually crashed. And when it crashes in VR, you don't see a blue screen, it just heart goes to black and like for a half a second I thought I went blind. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, oh my god, this was so intense. My my brain just rejects it. It's like, okay, and it's like, what the? F-? Like, and it was so jarring. Oh, did the head did the head crab catch me or no, something? It wasn't what even happened? doing a head crab. It was just me like exploring some section of the map. Like, okay, this is cool, and I'm, like, I'm paying attention to the details on the wall. Okay, I also need to mention one thing. I've seen how they cut corners in certain areas. You know that. Oh, tell us. You know tell that us. old school yeah. trick where it's like when you look at a plant and you're like, oh, that's cool, and you look around it and it's like this flat cardboard thing where it's shaded on one side and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they're still doing this shit here. Okay. Like, and the thing okay. is, that didn't break immersion for me at all because there are some sections of the map, right, when you look across the horizon, you can see the rest of City seven, uh, 17 and it's like, there's a very clear sense of horizon and depth. And it's like, that is fucking amazing. And it's like, it blow, blows my mind. I walk into this one room, bloop, goes to black, fuck, and you lose your balance immediately because your your reaction is like, once your, your sight disappears, right, and then I think my brain registered it as like, okay, I think you're just, I think you're unconscious now. <laughs> you should lie down. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, what the fuck happened, you know? And it was freaking, that was the most terrifying part. Not the headcrabs, not the zombie soldiers, not the advanced headcrabs. Oh, no, no, no. It's just like, when this thing decides, <laughs> technical <laughs> and this one technical error came up, right? And it's, so actually, they should actually come up with a, a crash screen or like something that, you know, if input fails, they should show something soothing or something that allows you to kind of like slowly edge out or, or ease out of the experience. Uh. Yeah. yeah, they should no, do no, that. But it's not yeah, even... Yeah. I don't think it's even a software issue where the game crashed. I think it was the, the Oculus itself crashing. Okay, shout out to Oculus. Where the machine actually decides to untether or detach and it just goes off. And it's like... You know what I mean? So it's like... So I think this is something that they should use the... Like, they should use a transparent screen so that when it crashes, it will, you just see your normal vision again. And I think that the technology mm. to do that is starting to emerge where you would have a screen that is transparent, but when it is uh, energized or when it is uh, stimulated in the right way, it becomes completely opaque and showing you what you need to see. Yeah, kind of like how those bus ads work where if you look through it from the other side, you just see outside, but if you look at it from the other side, you see the actual bus ad. Yeah, it's more like AR. Mm. That, that would be like, I think that would be where AR and VR start to kind of meld together. I think it it does especially in Half-Life Alex. Uh but I think also one thing I want to kind of bring up right is the fact that when I played Half-Life Alex and you walk against a box but you don't feel it. Yes. You just see it and it, it's like it's kind of still strange. Correct. That's exactly what I'm talking about when your brain gets feed or gets visual feedback that your your other the rest of your body doesn't mm. uh, register. So I think one of the evolutions of this would be maybe even like pads that or, or haptic uh, sensors that you can either put or stick on yourself or you, you just wear something mm. and then it gives you like a sense of uh, the reason this works in theme parks right whenever you have a VR experience in a theme park like Universal Studios and stuff like that they put you in the 4D they, chair right they put you in the 4D chair they, sh- they shoot gusts of wind at you and then your immersion you can notice there that you don't get nauseous as often yeah. because you're getting a lot more feedback that your brain is registering at a visual level yeah, I think that's a, one thing about VR is like it only manages to, I would say, breach one uh, sensory aspect as compared to probably like playing this on a regular PC where it's like because you see the size of your monitor, you realize that this is a picture or this is a moving picture. It doesn't feel like, uh, like there's no, I would say, direct connection to what's going on on screen whereas something like VR is like you feel kind of trapped in it. And... Mm. If anything, especially when you start playing horror games, because yes, Half-Life Alex is more of a horror game than a shooter. Uh, 
I would say it does add to the experience, but it also adds this kind of uh, pitfall that could occur in like in the case of technical difficulty or in the case of like how some people just respond to the world differently and how this would like, you know, I don't think this is something that is for general audiences because there are some people out there who like, I mean, we all have that one friend who watch us play games like quick and they get motion sick just watching stuff happening on the screen when things move too fast. But I think that happens when you don't have a sense of control because when I watch someone else play quick, I get motion sick because I don't know what they're going mm, to Yeah, I get when what you mean. Yeah. It's kind of like being a driver, right? If, if you're driving up the windy mountain road, you're fine. Everyone else is... <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, that. I mean, like, I think VR definitely still has a few more hurdles or a few more things to figure out or if, at least to compensate. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why the technology is becoming so expensive because it's only quite recently they decided to up the frame rates and the resolution to kind of match what we would consider uh, actual graphical fidelity, especially when you're going to compare it to modern video games where it's like, okay, this is what graphics look like now. We can't go down in VR because VR is this plus we're in it. That's like high expectations when you have this much money you have to spend for a kit yeah. and the graphics and everything. And you want to talk about high expectations. Yeah, Valve. <laughs> Valve is nothing but high yes. expectations. <laughs> yeah. So if anything, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like, what would be the price point entry again for you, Dustin? What would you pay for a VR setup? It's not so much price. I mean, I wouldn't get a VR setup now because I know it's first generation and I know that there's still a lot of improvement yeah. to go. So even if you made it cheap, like, I don't need the clutter. I know that there'll be a version 3, version 4. Probably version 6 or 7 is when it starts to make sense. When it becomes... From a pricing... Yeah, when it becomes a bit more it, ubiquitous, so. It's not even that. It's also the language, right? It's also like the gestures. It's also all of these other things that need to develop. Mm. So even if you have perfect hardware, but you haven't figured out what the language is or what the... the We understand UIs now over time, right? We kind of learned what UI works. The issue I have with um, VR right now is that it's so nascent that the the gestures that you're using in the current paradigm will be very different from what you use like seven versions or eight versions down the road when mm. we kind of figure out okay this is the reload gesture we, we it's very clear what the reload gesture should be in a controller when we play yeah. but right now in vr we don't know what the reload gesture should be yet mm. well so this is a very it hasn't been set in stone in other correct. words correct it's, it's very it's yeah so i think the point i i have is that uh, it's senseless buying hardware when you don't even know when the hardware doesn't even know yet what it should be using as its default gesture or control surface yeah, I think I agree with me because we have not developed the mental models for it because it like it only recently does the slight gesture make sense on devices because touch became a thing when the iPhone dropped like, correct like before that like nobody was swiping on their screens now it becomes so like you know common yeah, yeah. I mean not even common and the fact that like when uh, companies like Apple decided to help invest in schools by making sure every kid held onto an iPad when they were growing up it became part of their 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 I would say interactive language whereas like, you, if you give a kid a laptop the first thing he tries to do is he tries to move stuff on the screen by touching it you know, and then when you give them a newspaper they're like this is just an iPad that doesn't work they try to <laughs> see me on it like fuck 
<laughs> Try putting it closer to your eyes, dear. Okay, that's how it works. <laughs> Here's a magnifying glass, you know? Yeah, but I think that's just it. Uh, VR definitely still has a long ways to go. And like, if you were to ask me, would I drop like a cool $2,000 on a setup or even like maybe $60 to $70 on a full-fledged AAA VR game? I would say maybe. I wouldn't say no. I would say because I experience firsthand what this technology has to offer and the potential and where it can go from now uh, but I'm also why I'm so hesitant is because it's like I've also suffered uh, bias remorse from being an early adopter of many a product that existed as, yes. okay, as an owner of a Neo Geo and a Sega CD <laughs> you can attest and to a that very, very well like, yeah okay you know what I don't regret buying my Dreamcast not the, one the, bit the Dreamcast was great like. the Dreamcast was, was amazing but it's like Immediately, like the PlayStation came out, like ah. <laughs> we we blame Sega for their previous fuck ups for the Dreamcast. Failure. Yeah, but yeah. also at the same time, it's like I don't want to be the guy who buys like okay, I saved up my money, okay, I got some uh disposable income, I'm gonna drop like a couple of thousand dollars on this, and then comes the competitor who like oh by the way, <laughs> we, <laughs> we have we, a cheaper here's we, our we, shit. <laughs> Yeah. We've taken our lumps. With more games. We've, yeah. we've taken our lumps from our teenage and twenties to know no better now when it comes to these kinds of purchases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yes. It's like it's like all those guys who bought iPhones and then like the, the Samsung Galaxy came out and like, yeah, <laughs> you know, like here's a slightly better version of the same thing that you do, but we're not locked into your ecosystem. You know what I mean? And I think probably one of the things we also need to address is the fact that, okay, with Half-Life Alex, it is kind of locked into that Valve ecosystem, more or less, because they do expand to other platforms, but it's not quite ubiquitous and ubiquitous in the sense where it's like, you buy any VR game, it works on any platform that you own. Yeah. Can, can we agree that we think that what uh, whatever comes to dominate VR will come from games and definitely not from movies? It won't come from g- movies, definitely, because movies yeah. are too much decided upon narrative, story structure, and artistry. And you can't pro- do camera moves, I think. Like, in my mm. opinion, I think that the problem with VRs, VR in movies is that you won't be able... I can't think of any way that you can move the camera without causing, causing nausea. Yeah. and you have to cut from scene to scene then you're basically like you're in a room cut to a different room I, I just don't see and I, I have friends that work in this and I, I I will find out more from them but I just don't see any way that works in a medium where there's no interactivity though I would say yeah. the best movie to VR would be Russian Ark because it's one long take yes <laughs> I agree so there's nothing to cut to or maybe 1917. <laughs> that, hey, that, 1917 in VR, that, that could work. Yeah, yeah. Because, because they haven't had enough problems hiding crew already. <laughs> like, the VR version would be like the director's uh, behind the scenes. Uh, it, does, it doesn't need to be the whole movie. I just want to do the push. <laughs> I just want to be yeah. that asshole who, who bumps into the actor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, can we also agree that uh, not movies generally but maybe porn <laughs> it'll definitely oh, be porn def- like, okay, yeah, like I don't think Twitch would actually exist without porn <laughs> so who knows I mean VR the, when VR becomes very mainstream you can probably thank porn for that I, I, in some way yes I agree I agree with you on that I think what will happen is that porn will choose the winner in terms of the VR gear so like when we're talking about what the developers develop for eventually when porn decides okay 
this is the VR kit that I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. That's it. Then that that's the yeah. VHS like Betamax moment. They 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 choose the winner. That's it. Can I suggest one thing? And this is uh, directed straight at Valve. I would like to have my uh, masturbation mod because as a fan of Alex Vance, <laughs> I've always wanted to explore her. <laughs> I think they might be talking to Pornhub as we speak. Who knows? Can I just say it was my idea first? Because after a long, okay. hard day of exploration, I just want to kick back, take off my jeans and rub one out <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the true you know what we don't need Half-Life 3 we just need more opportunities for us to finger Alex Vance as Alex Vance <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think of VR not necessarily taking off in and of itself but being an augmentation to AR because I, one of the things that's hardest with VR is the uncanny valley so if you had AR mm. and then you use VR to supplement that, right? Yeah, then you yeah. could also concentrate your com- your computational power on making whatever you simulate match reality as opposed to trying to create the entire world. Because, see, unfortunately, the first thought that came into my mind is VR porn again where you're looking at your living room but the actress is there also. <laughs> yeah. It's like that, what you mentioned, you feel it's there but you don't feel it per yeah. se. And I also definitely need the force feedback uh, docking port to definitely provide the appropriate stimulation for certain appendages of my body that need to feel uh, attuned to the action that I am visually being presented to. Ah! So, so, you, so you're talking about a partnership between Valve and Tenga, is it? Tenga? Sure! <laughs> Tenga, Pornhub, whoever they can get their oh, hands man, on. Imagine this. How expensive would it be to make a VR set that's dishwasher safe? <laughs> 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 I need to clean the cum off too. Sure. That's like a, that's like another thousand you gotta spend for. Oh my god! You know, like those, those, the, the 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 index gloves, if they can they can vibrate already. <laughs> the people that are coming back from the COVID episode are very very disappointed. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> no, I think this is what they were looking for all this time. Where is this? Yes. Where is this? The, where's the degenerate comedy? We need people to uplift our spirits. We're here masturbating too. Oh gosh. So yeah, definitely. Uh yeah, Half-Life Alex, ten upon ten. <laughs> Perfect game. I can't see anything bad about it. It's definitely a mind-blowing experience. It does everything a good Half-Life game does. It brings back the atmospherics, the sense of dread. Uh the sound design, the world design, the puzzles can be a bit annoying. The shooting elements are fucking awkward and wonky, but that is mostly because of the setup. Because I'm pretty sure if I play this on keyboard and mouse and you remove all the physics puzzles, it might be a totally different game. I think you can finish the game in 10 minutes. Nah, the game is long. You have to walk a bit, sir. (laughs) Okay, okay. This this is the true walking simulator or hopping simulator (laughs) depending on your mode of transportation within the game. So yeah, uh, I think we can come to a conclusion that uh, it's a very good game for a system that's kind of beyond our reach and if you already own a VR setup with the right specifications what's stopping you from getting Half-Life Alex? I doubt this will be ushering in a new wave of VR games and peripherals anytime soon I don't think like VR stocks are gonna skyrocket all of a sudden seeing as how like the Valve Index is still being it's still officially sold out up to today and in the midst of this global pandemic uh you should be buying food, kids. <laughs> food, toilet paper. Stop essentials. reminding people to buy yeah, toilet whatever. paper. Get a bidet. <laughs> TP for your bunk hole, yo. <laughs> yep, yep. TP for your bunk hole, yo. God. 
<laughs> is that a Beavers and Butthead reference? Yes. This is the most just... 90s episode ever. <laughs> we talk about Quake. We talk, what else? talk about Half-Life. Half-Life is also 90s. Talk about Yomega. So, yeah. Yomega? Sure, they are making Iomega, Iomega yeah. Zip Drive. Literally, you, if you own an Iomega Zip Drive, like six months later, USB drives and CD burners. Fuck off. <laughs> God it's damn. it's still it's still better than the Castlewood orb dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh gosh. Okay. So maybe we should wrap up this episode. It's been an amazing discussion about the future of VR and also uh, our stations in life because we all can't afford it. <laughs> yes. Even if we could. Okay, we can afford it, but do we really want to or do we need to? And yeah, yeah. despite it being a Half-Life game, and we're all huge fans of the series, and we love it to death, and we've been dying for a new Half-Life game, Half-Life 3. Uh, yeah, I guess Half-Life Alex isn't, like, you know, uh, I would say throwing us a bone. It is in its own self a game that has its own identity and its own purpose. And uh, if anything... You like her to throw you a bone, right? I like her throw me, but I like to bone her, sir. <laughs> yes. God damn it. Oh, man. Imagine the possibilities. Huh? <laughs> anyway, uh, leave her alone, okay? She's a sweet girl, okay? Her dad died. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> spoilers from, like, how many from years ago? From almost 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, okay. Know. Yes. Uh, man, you know the Vortigon has three arms? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> one track mine is one track. <laughs> <laughs> so, boys and girls, uh, yeah, Half-Life Alex, good. How do you think the head crabs will do? Oh, head crabs. Mm. Oh, gosh. Oh, here's the thing, right? When you pick it you up... You know why they call them head crabs, right? <laughs> oh, yep, Speaking yep. of head, head crabs. crabs. Right? Okay, it's not lice, boys and girls. No, no, no. Okay, here's an experience I had. Like, when you shoot one and, like, when you play the game, you can't pick it up. You can actually pick up almost anything in the game and that is pretty much mind-blowing in itself. But then picking up a head crab and just exploring it and looking right into the orifice that attached to your brain is like... Huh, I would like to fuck that. <laughs> There's so many holes and uh, orifices in this game all of a sudden that I'm realizing for the wrong reasons. Oh gosh, yes, this is Shafiq with Lusking Podcast. I'm s- still a degenerate. <laughs> yeah. This is Toffee and Dustin. Okay, remember kids, <laughs> wash your hands after you play Alex. <laughs>